My father is the kind of person who eats, sleeps, breathes design. So it's all consuming. It's all, all consuming, but in a good way, you know. Do all your spouses have a support group? <laughs> I think they have each other, actually. Okay, because I can start one and sort of have a weekly session. Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the world of arts, culture, tech, and of course, food. I'm your host, Hashem Montasser. I'm joined today on the show by the family behind Naash Gallery, Waji Naash, who founded the business 40 years ago, and his two children, Aya and Omar, who form the second generation of the family business. The last time I had multiple guests on the same show was in October last year, when I spoke to Huda Baroudi and Maria Hibri, the founders of Boksha. It was such an exhilarating experience and also a slow descent into organized chaos in the most hilarious and positive of ways. So it made total sense for me to try that again. This time, not two, but three. If you haven't already, you should listen to that episode via the link in our show notes or on your podcast app. It's a remarkable story of two highly gifted women entrepreneurs that are essentially joined by the hip. While you're there, hit the follow button to get notified when we have new episodes every other week. I first checked out Naash Gallery when they emerged as our neighbors in Dubai Design District in the early days of D3. So I'm excited to dig into their views today. What makes for good design? What is the interaction between art and design? How do you monetize good design? And perhaps most importantly, to better understand the intergenerational family dynamic and how they're preparing a transition into a more digital world. Welcome, uh, Naash family. We're very pleased to have you here. This is a first of having three uh, guests as uh, uh, on the podcast, also three uh, related guests, <laughs> to put it very mildly. Maybe you can all, we usually don't do this, but we'll do a very quick introduction as to who's who, so not to confuse the audience, and they will then know you by your voice. Okay. First of all, Hashem, thank you very much for having us. Really, great it pleasure. is a great uh, experience thank to you. be in your uh, interesting program. You might regret this, Phil Echel. Uh, let's just we'll see. see. We'll well, see. Thank you. I'll take it now. <laughs> Wait and see. Wait and see. Thank you very much. Okay. So I'm the father. Uh, and these are your Kash. two children. Yes. Shall I tell my uh, uh, age? Four, sure. <laughs> Go for it. I am almost 75 years. And I'm 49. So, okay, going okay. Age, uh, so, but uh, don't tell anybody. Huh? La, 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 don't la, tell la. anybody. I won't, I won't. Okay. I'm the father of uh, Ayaz and Karim and Omar. Aya uh, and uh, Omar. Both of them are in the same business. Karim, he's the oldest in the banking business. Does it have to do with being the oldest? Because the oldest usually feels the brunt of the parents' ambitions and you've always used like, Lala, I'm out of here. I don't want to do... Or or he was never interested in art he, and design. Uh, yes, he's in the banking, okay. counting money. Okay, so good for him. Did you start the business? Yes. Okay. Actually, I came here to Dubai by chance on the 77. My brother-in-law, he's a diplomat. He had in a conference in Abu Dhabi, he said, I'm going to Abu Dhabi. Why not come with me? Because, you know, uh, in that time, the civil war in Beirut Took was a very critical situation. I just graduated from Italy. First, I have done my architecture degree in Beirut, in Institute de Beaux-Arts, and after the interior design in Florence. So I said, uh, where is Abu Dhabi? I opened the atlas to see where is Abu Dhabi. Tsa. Uh, after one week, he finished his conference and he wanted to go back. I said, I will stay because no way to go back to, to Beirut on that, uh, with this situation. Let me try my chance here. By chance, I find uh, one company. I joined them for um, almost eight months. Okay. As an architect. As an architect. After that, I said, let me do my own uh, Office, let's say. But is it you know, after eight months in a new country where you don't really have a network, what made you uh, have the courage to start your own office? You wanted to be independent or because yes. you didn't have other opportunities? I have I, seen some opportunity. Okay. I rent a small apartment, office and apartment on the same time. And I start with one draftsman. On that time, there is no interior design in that uh, at all. At all. 
So they start people asking, okay, I have a villa, let's do the interior, let's do some yeah. modification. And uh, I start like this. And later I find out there is no showroom. There is no nice furniture. On that time, all the furniture, it was in uh, very classical, the Baroque style, yeah. the polyester finish, the gold, the velvet, you know. Uh, I definitely know. <laughs> I'll try to introduce the new, uh, let's say, new style, new modern. New yeah, contemporary modern. Contemporary. Contemporary, on that time, it was really difficult so. to understand contemporary. Later on, after a couple of years, I said, I have to have some uh, area to display something, uh, to have it like a big catalog so people, they can come and see what can I do, what style I have. You open it in Sharjah or here? I open it in Sharjah. Okay. What year was that? 83-84. And I still remember my first client in Abu Dhabi, a couple, a local couple, but uh, a little bit avant-garde. They, were, they came to, to Sharjah at that time to spend their weekend in the Marbella Club. Well, Sharjah was avant-garde. Yes. Compared to the rest of... Marbella Club, the, the Spanish Marbella Club, it was on that time really something. And by chance, they were working, walking uh, near my showroom and liked the display. And they said, uh, we liked what they have seen and we are building a villa in, uh, in Abu Dhabi. So let's see how we can collaborate. And uh, the client, he was a, a collector of Oriental, uh, Orientalist uh, painting, especially interest. So I think this is when you uh, have a client who knows exactly what you want, the project, it, it's very easy to do something really nice. When you open the gallery, is typically the idea that you would do all the interior design and the furniture? Is it one or the other? Are you indifferent? What was, uh, or did it just evolve? Well, uh, the villa, it was under construction. Okay. So I start with them from the beginning. Okay. We, we study the interior architecture. Okay. We select all the material, all the color, palette, everything. And after we furnished, even to the small accessories. That's to why everything. So this everything. is like a turnkey. Uh, yes, turnkey job. And is this the way you still prefer to work today if you had the option? Yes. Okay. We do both. We do, I know. Uh, we do both. But uh, I think the, the best project uh, it will be if you started from the beginning. Where do you find generally more demand? Is it on the design, interior design side, or on the, um, let's call it retail furniture no on that time for the interior design interior design and interior. today is still the case uh, of course but on that time more interior design because everybody want to build a new houses a new villa and there were very few interior designers to start with very, or none very few very, yeah. very few. even the showroom i remember maybe two or three showroom in all dubai and uh, of course the other showroom as i said the very classical heavy uh, uh, style but uh, the modern, the, it, it was very, few, very so, so, few. So this brings us to an interesting question, and maybe also your, your, your children can, can give us their view on this. You know, actually, I still think, despite the massive development of Dubai and the UE at large, it's still relatively limited. And when we look at showrooms today, outside of the big brands that come and do their own showrooms, that's, of course, everywhere. But that's a very different type of uh, value proposition. To go to a showroom that's a little bit eclectic, that has contemporary furniture and accessories mixed in, where you could maybe pick up a few pieces, but also maybe add them to, that's still something that's not there much. I don't see it much. And then I want to ask, it's a two-part two question. With that is, there seems to be, at least what I've experienced here, a tension, maybe a healthy tension between collectible design, pieces that you're buying that maybe, uh, you know, are one of five, one of 10, you know, that you essentially are buying to put in your home, most likely, but sort of thought more as a collectible item similar to collecting art. And then you have sort of the day-to-day -day design. And uh, the market seems to be confused, or at least that's my impression, uh, which direction to take. Uh, I think we've seen some fairs, for example, working on collectible design, including here in Dubai Design District over the years. I have found that the appetite seems limited. People that buy collectible design seem to go abroad 
to buy them. They don't they don't buy it from here. So it kind of went down to become sort of more, you know, of day to day approachable. Give us. I want to hear your points of view on this. As uh, Nakash Gallery or Nakash Design Studio, uh, we try to create uh, an atmosphere, a lifestyle. Sure. So when people visit our showroom. Uh, they don't select only one piece, uh, chairs or table. When they see the display with all, all the artwork and the accessories, uh, they like You're it. selling an experience. Exactly. I'm selling a lifestyle, yeah. you know. They will buy the, the whole corner. For the collectible items, we have some uh, limited editions, and we design, me and Omar, some uh, limited edition pieces. And you participate in the fairs as yes, well. Yes, and we participate. And uh, to tell you the truth, the new generation here, they start knowing exactly what they want. Mm. They are traveling a lot. They, they study abroad. Uh, people, they start coming to us asking for a specific uh, style or specific artist, you know. So a, a lot of change from the time we start on that uh, time. Dubai market, it's really uh, improving a lot for the collectible. It is. Depends, of course. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Dubai and uh, Dubai Design District. And I think it's coming to that. And it, give them some time, it will reach the... That's the, good to the, hear. The, because it was tried maybe a decade ago. Or maybe it was too early. It would be nice to try again. But at least there is, a, you know, always there is a first step. You Must know. boot. Uh, there's... Uh, no, I can see a very um, bright futures for the uh, such kind of uh, uh, pieces and collectible uh, items. Will reach maybe the the Biennale in Venice or the Basel or yes, why not? Okay, interesting. Why not? I think it uh, it takes time. It takes time for the public to appreciate the craft the uh, limited edition aspect of design pieces specifically. I think if you go to any of the major fashion houses here in Dubai Mall, um, they're probably the most successful in the world. But those same people who are spending X amount on handbags and belts and shoes and stuff, don't make the same association with furniture and design pieces yet. And it's something that we can't hold against them. Sure. Because it's a relatively young country uh, and city. And so it just takes time. And Yeah, I agreed. But uh, going back to the design fairs, the first design Dubai design this, um, fair. fair um, the name changes. The yeah. name evolved quite a design lot. Design days and design uh, fair. The, yeah. the design days, exactly. Yeah. Had uh, top-notch international I remember. galleries from uh, Carpenter's Workshop, which is the number one in the world. And Nilufar. And Nilufar Gallery based Sport, in Milan. I remember. And when they came, uh, they quickly realized that the market isn't ready for it yet. And so they haven't participated since. And exactly like you said, it became more of a um, focus on the local and regional designers and artists, which is great because it's giving them a platform to exhibit their work. But sorry, I think also we've seen an evolution of the visitors. Yani, we participated in these fairs since its inception. And the caliber of people that were visiting these fairs, you know, would just walk by, stroll by, and just not even stop and appreciate or ask questions. And over the years, we've seen them evolve because they're well-traveled, they're more exposed. And these fairs are giving the people the opportunity or it's a platform for designers to showcase their talent, but also educate the, the visitors about the appreciation of art and culture and craftsmanship. So now when... Down the years when we've been participating, the visitors would actually stop and ask mm. the right questions. You know, how was it made? Where is it made? What kind of material is it? Just you see the appetite is growing. No, I agree. I mean, to me, as a as a to some extent participant, we would participate mostly on the F and B side, but over I've been to every one of them since we started. It almost feels you have two fairs. You know, you have a trade fair, which mostly focuses on furniture and other you know, building materials, etc. And that, there's a market for that. And that's important. And obviously, Dubai, uh, especially is a city that's being built so fast. And then you have design. And that's sort of, and it almost feels like this, it should be maybe not separated physically, but two parts, you know, there's a, a trade fair. 
and then there's a design fair, even if it's a small, something too. I think you, you participate in the one in Beirut, for example, a couple of years back. You know, I'm because for me as a as a consumer coming in, if I'm going in in the mindset of a of a trade fair, that's one thing. If I'm going in in the mindset of a design fair, that's another. So I'm going into a trade fair. I'm thinking, you know, maybe I'll find some materials that I like for our restaurants or for my home. Maybe I, you know, I'll find a new brand that produces furniture that I haven't heard of. I'm going into kind of a design fair, you know, slightly more discerning, right? It's a bit like going to an art fair. I'm focusing on the aesthetics and the materials and something that. So there are two different things, and I understand completely why they've been put together. What, of course, we'd love to see is seeing both grow, right, in their own right. And you, the reason I'm asking you, you this is as a family and as a group, you straddle both worlds. I mean, you have a, a foot in each one of these worlds, right, which is interesting because you produce your own collectible design items. And you have your own interior shop, interior design shop. Yeah, the collectible really is a passion project okay. uh, between father and son. And uh, it's kind of the duality of our design. We always use two materials uh, that complement each other, but are, that are different. And it was you never... work together on it, on each piece? Yeah. Yes. You do? Yes. How, how does that work? So I'm, I'm very interested. Uh, it, it is fun. The dynamic. It is fun. Mm. Uh, we exchange ideas. Sometimes we uh, agree, not agree. Is he allowed to tell you, I don't like this, we should go in this direction or oh, not? Of course. Okay, well, you never know. No, 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 of course. <laughs> to be of honest, course. I'm... My... We, are not, we are a team. We are not uh, <laughs> okay. father and... Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know. Uh, okay. But okay. it's interesting, honestly, from my point of view, because my education in design was very collaborative. All of our projects, senior projects, was all in groups. Okay. Uh, my father would tell me that it was hyper-competitive and individualistic at his time. Interesting. And they would literally cover each other's drawings and not show each other. So I'm totally from that generation. Yeah, exactly. You know, so in the beginning, it was a different. It was a tough mold to break. Yeah. Uh, but with time, um, I think we were able to find a good balance. And how do you conceptualize those ideas of a new collaboration? Does what, either of you come up with an idea and then just maybe throw it out there and then you start working on it? or? Yes. Actually, Omar, he's very good uh, to create story. Okay. He starts with the story and little by little, we agree about the material. We make some sketches. We change it and uh, we change the dimension, proportion until we'll... Uh, finalize the final uh, design. So in Italy, for example, where I did my master's in interior architecture, they really taught us that before you pick up a pencil to start sketching and drawing, you need to come up with a concept. And then everything trickles down from that concept. And that concept can be a sentence or it could be a word. And this is hence like the duality, like older generation, newer generation, two people, let's use two materials, and that's a starting point. Um, our suppliers as a starting point, uh, and we try to find the balance of what's uh, a, a high probability of selling. You know, so certain pieces like uh, consoles and sideboards are more likely to sell than uh, sofas, for example. Yeah, big you pieces. Know? So it's kind of like a combination. It's like a funnel process. So we funnel all of these ideas and then come up with a with a design. And did you always know that you wanted to work with your father, or did it just happen naturally? Uh, organically you know i remember the exact moment it happened okay but it was a natural moment it was like i think in the second or third grade we had like a art art class and they make you paint a, uh, a famous painting and it was van gogh's uh, sunflowers and i came home and i you gave it to your parents and i gave it to my parents and i saw my dad's eyes like he's the kid <laughs> from all other kids that has some yeah. sort of artistic inclination yeah and to be honest since then he was molding me and encouraging me in the right way without kind of hammering it down, you know. Uh, and but it didn't mean that you have to work with him. You could have gone and uh, done your no, own thing. No, So but, uh, talk, talk us through that decision. So the first decision in our class, he, we, we discovered now that you have some artistic inclination. That's great. Yeah, so then more, uh, you know, sketching classes sure. and art school and summer classes revolving around that. Um but to be honest, once I finished uh, uh, Parsons in New York, it was, um, let's just say it wasn't encouraged to get experience elsewhere. 
It was more like, if you get a job, great, but I'm not helping you get a job, <laughs> even though he could have easily helped yeah. me get a job, you know? Why was that? Do you want to, did you want him to come back and work with you? Yes. I would love my son yeah, to work yes, with yes. me, but I don't think he will. I yes. don't know. You did. But yeah. But I will not force him, you know, to no, work with no, me. I, I, no one said about forcing, but it's interesting because lots of us, and I'm sure you spent the majority of your time working, yani a lot big parts of your life have gone into working. For talk to me a little bit about the experience of having two of your children with you every day. I mean, it's a privilege, right? Because you're in conversation with them throughout the day, not just in the early hours of the morning, maybe before you go to work and in the evening when you come home, which is the typical experience of most men and women that, that work. You know, Hashim, uh, first, uh, Omar, he was living with us, you know. Uh, after one year, he came, he said, Dad, okay, <laughs> I'm with you in the morning, breakfast time. I'm with you in the office. I am. Uh, it's a bit much. I, I want to be uh, on so my own. I work so, with you either. I live with so you. This yeah, is, I think I explain how he's. He, that must have been a tense yeah. conversation. But but in the office, uh, he had uh, his own uh, desk, his own uh, space, uh, making some sketches, come with uh, to me to discuss it, to have uh, my opinion. We sit together. Uh, argument, yes, we argue. Uh, it's normal, but not very often. To yeah, and it's healthy. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you if if he feels censored, and I'm going to get to Ayn in a second, then I think it's very difficult to have an open dynamic. Yani, and it's interesting because if my boss is my dad, it's an extra dimension. You know, um, he's not going to fire me. Well, you could, but most likely not. But then the stuff comes home as well. I mean, you don't anymore. They have their own homes. But, you know, you come on a, on a dinner table and, and this stuff is hard to just sort of say, we're out of work. Now we're going to talk about how was your day? Man? You know how the day was. <laughs> <laughs> Not fire him, but no, sometimes no bonus. huh? <laughs> <laughs> warning letter. Yeah, 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 warning letter. <laughs> Interesting. Aya, Aya, so tell us your experience and how, how do you fit to this little puzzle? So after Amma left, I still was living with my parents. Um, and like I said, I'm, I look after the marketing, you know, I... Uh, but I'm also the mediator between both. When mm -hmm. it comes to designing together, you know, I was like, you know, dad's really not being flexible, you know, like put in a good word or something. So when I go back home at the dinner table, and of course, mom will always ask, how was your day? Yeah. So that's when I start, you know, putting in the subliminal messages and saying, you know, why don't you try to work it out like this or like that? Um, and I think working in a family business, we all wear different hats. Sure. We have our own hats, but then also you have ownership hats, you know, and... When he first started the business, he was the only one wearing the owner hat. Yes. And then as the generations come, you know, new blood comes into the business. We're getting passed down this baton. Mm. Um, so it's kind of, you know, you have to find the right balance between family business and then just family life. It's very hard. Um, it's very hard. It's uh, sorry. It's, it's really tough, especially at work, because... When you believe in an idea or you believe in a strategy and a certain approach and you really want to fight for it, you fight for it. Yeah. But that may be perceived as you're being disrespectful to your father. Yes. You know, especially in our culture where yeah, exactly. That's the dynamics is very right. clear cut. So sometimes when I really believe in something, I fight for it and I get aggressive and then I go and I'm like... You don't look aggressive to me, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's all relative. It, uh, I'll show you my, aggressive. No, no. <laughs> Let's say, yeah, it's relevant in, in terms of the communication yes, style. Yes. And no, I, ca I can't yeah. talk this way to my father, but I yeah. can talk this way to my manager, to my so, boss. I should, you know, if I believe in something. So it's a, it's a very fine line, and, and I'm very blessed to have a very um, sensible father. Now that I've tested the waters of the family dynamics, expect more fireworks when we return after the short break. Welcome back. You're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with my guest, two generations of the Ash family, Wajihna Ash, and two of his children, Ayan Omar. Let's say, just take an example, we're working on something and commercially it doesn't succeed. Is Aya able to come and tell you, I told you so, I always knew this? How is the dynamic here? Does it turn into a blame game? Are you able to sit and discuss it and have a, an open conversation of what do we do differently next time? How does that work? Because that's obviously at the core of it. Ultimately, there's a creation process and there's a commercial process. 
And the reason I'm asking this is because you're you're sitting more on the commercial side rather than on the creative. I mean, of course, a bit yeah. of both, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? But ultimately, so how does that dynamic work? I mean, we're very blessed to have an open channel of communication. You know, whether, you know, we don't want to get into it right now in the office and we go back home, we have family dinner and... Is it discussed at, at home as well? So, Work, generally? All the, yeah. All the time, okay. My father is the kind of person who eats, sleeps, breathes design. Mm. Uh, passionately, you know, whether we're on a family holiday, a family dinner. So it's all consuming. It's all consuming, all but in a good way, you know. Do all your spouses have a support group? <laughs> I think they have each other, actually. <laughs> because I can start one and sort of have a weekly session. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's really not what he does. It's who he is. And, yeah, yeah, and he, for me. I, it, I buy that. It's, but it's, it's, it's annoying. It's, it's, it's in the sense where like everyone has their sphere of their life. And within this sphere, you have your career, you have your podcast, you have your travel. In Wajina Ash's, it's, it's design is his sphere and everything else is in that sphere. Because also design touches everything. Exactly. I can relate to that. I was a banker like Karim, your other son, counting money. I don't know how much money I counted. <laughs> you know, we counted for a little while and then, it, you know, um, and then I now, I, I moved to this business seven years ago. And when I'm out and about, because the current business, the lighthouse is consumer facing, I'm always looking at that angle. And I think it is annoying for everybody around me. So it's almost impossible to sit at a restaurant and not say things like, you know, he should really be doing it. And my wife is like, oh, there we go again. It comes <laughs> in my mind. I'm thinking, why is the supervisor not doing this? You know, why is very, if I look at the, you know, table set up and it's not, it's very hard to not do that. In fact, you want to do that. But Taban, it's hard for people around you, I think, to be constantly dealing with this side where you don't switch off really. Or, or do you switch off? It's difficult for me. Difficult, Akid. Ah, That's what I mean. Difficult. I mean, he switches off by reading the latest AD. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. But it's always design related. Um, whereas Amar will switch off by listening to you know his vinyl records. Yes. Um, I'll switch off by going to a yoga class or paddle. Um, but dad switching off is still related to design, mm. which is somewhat healthy, but in some certain ways, you know, it's all consuming for everyone. Exactly. How does your wife feel about this? We should have included her in our next version. We're <laughs> going to bring her in because I feel like it's a missing link. Maybe her and Karim. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we will always will tell her come pass by the no. I'm the showroom because she'll bring us good luck. Is is your is your other son in Dubai as well? In the UAE? Yes. Your brother? Yes. Okay. No, because I was curious. I mean, she's probably sitting with you every day at lunch or dinner, or whatever, at family gatherings. And is she an outsider? Is she an insider? Does she have a view? No, she's definitely an insider. Okay. Um, Does she have a view? She, she likes to have a view. She wants to have a view. Interesting. Have okay. you met a Palestinian woman? I, I have <laughs> met your mother and I know very much. I, I thought so, but I wanted to ask anyway. <laughs> I doubted that she didn't have a view. She uh, has a view. She wants to be heard. Yani, by profession, she's a dietitian, nutritionist, but she has a fashion. She had a fashion business. Um, so she'll say, "Mish bas inta waji andak alayn. Ana andi alayn. You know, ana fakir and azab. But hatta hey, kaman tutla halwa. Sorry, I'm speaking in Arabic. Akid, <laughs> and how how does this? That's a good. Uh, uh, yeah, how does this translate into what you do? I mean. Um, do you just listen to her politely, nod and move away? Or do you actually... No, sometimes so we pick she's our right. battles. Hmm? We pick our battles. Okay, you pick your battles. That's, um, that's a smart way. Of. And if we see like, you know, actually she has a... Because when you work on it, you always want somebody else like from an outsider's view, you know? So we either get Kareem in or our mom or another family member or friends. So, I mean, she has some wise words. So we usually do listen to her most of the time. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about this business for you when you started, Haji, was very much an offline business. I mean, like you said earlier, you have people coming to you. They are either um, going into your galleries. They know you personally. They get a contact. Today, half of the generation of definitely your kids and mine will is spending the bulk of their time online. How, how are you translating this? in terms of your business model and business plan? or Are you making any adjustments? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, like you said, we started in 1983. It's 2023. So we're celebrating the 40 years of Naash. And what we're really excited about is the next 40 years and the future and uh, how to evolve 
the family business and how to modernize it. Uh, and, and one huge aspect of it is uh, becoming uh, an online and offline business. Yes. And, you know, we sell medium to high end products. So I, I, it's, it's, I don't think it will uh, be an, a, its own revenue stream and people buying 20,000. No, it's, it's probably not. They're not going to be buying a sofa online. Exactly. But there's an aspiration element to it. And, and it's the first touch point of your brand, right? So, so you can have a, a, a further reach and then, you know, the omni-channel approach and have a campaign that starts online, but the objective is for them to come into the store. Uh, so that's what we're working on. Um, and, and It's very hard. It's very hard. And it, it's, it's about, it's not about, you know, adding one aspect of the business, which is the e-commerce platform. It's really about changing the entire business model yes. of, of it and the logistics and the warehousing and, and the marketing. I find it very hard and I can relate a little bit because we have a business that has several um, channels, that's to say we have a concept store, the restaurant. And when I look online, every time I look at my website, I'm sort of like, I don't feel it's translating. This is not coming through. If you walk into the lighthouse, this is, you know, but it's very hard because to your point, Omar, when you go online, so we I oscillate between wanting to just create that atmosphere, the lifestyle that you talked about earlier, versus saying, I actually want to sell stuff. And I'm coming to the realization that it's most likely you're not going to be selling stuff. It's most likely very much what you said, which is a channel to create a, a particular feeling and experience to send customers to our physical locations. But it's very hard to create that feeling digitally. Yani when I walked, when you had your gallery here, or even the one on Sheikh Zayed, you walk in, you, like you said earlier, you're, you're selling lifestyle. To do that online is very hard while still giving the consumer enough information pieces, right? Because you don't want them also just to get lost and then have no touch point with you. How do you, how do you manage that? Is there, I mean, I don't know if there's an answer, but I'm curious. There's no right answer, but I think you have to find the right mix, you know? Okay. Like Omar said, at the end of the day, the consumer still wants to come and feel, experience, you know, the chair or the sofa he's looking to place in his space. But the first touch point is online. So maybe he'll get a better understanding. And because we are a family business, people love stories. Yes. You know? So we try to translate, and that's what we're trying to do um, now. with the new project that we're working on, is translate our family values into this family business that will eventually speak to customers. The project being uh, the, your online uh, presence. Yeah. Our okay. online presence. Nakash 2.0 okay. is what it is. Okay. Um, and, and honestly, I think... So talk to us a little bit about this. So Nakash 2.0, Bamana. Uh, uh, your your online presence having the storytelling element. So really, it all started in COVID okay. when we were forced to shut down for two months. Sure. And we had all this time in our hands, and so uh, we called it Project Restart. And we said, if Nakash was to restart as a brand today, what would its vision be, mission be, positioning be? And that's how it started as a family conversation, and it turned out to be like, okay, we really need to evolve this brand. We need to remain relevant. We need to um, re refresh our brand mix. And so the Nakash 2.0 is not only about the e-commerce platform, which is a huge element to it. Uh, for example, we're dropping the word gallery from our branding because it was misleading. Hmm. Our father is French educated. Galerie en yeah. français is yeah. not gallery in English. Yeah. Um, and so... So what will it be called? Just Nakash. Nakash. And okay. it's really from... Nice. Mabrouk. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like that. The the intersection between the service that we offer, which is the interior architecture, and the product. So, you know, the word lifestyle is really thrown around a lot yes. in terms of, of the brand positioning. But the intersection for us is like, for example, I mentioned my vinyl collection. I like to listen to music, right? Mm. What we want to do is be able to uh, use this how serious are we talking like it's a so it, serious collection or? It, it's in the high hundreds ah this so it's it started okay. off uh, i All found right. a box of my mom's vinyls Fantastic. 10 years ago i'm like what is this treasure trove it's like yeah you know this is from my uh, college days so that's how it started and every time i travel i like to buy records from the country that i travel in. amazing um El where were we <laughs> yeah 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 when you listen to music. And no, so yeah. it's the intersection really is the, the word lifestyle between creating a room that has good acoustics, that has a comfortable seat, that has a, a, a nice ambiance, 
Um, so when you're listening to this music, you're, listen, you're sitting on a, on a comfortable chair, right? And so really, this is the intersection that we're trying to create in this, in this new Nakash. So that involves uh, a brand repositioning, a brand, uh, a facelift to the branding, an e-commerce website, more of an omni-channel approach to how do we get our customer engaged in the brand, right? And how do we activate the space? And to answer your question about the e-commerce, I think the most important thing is that to really have it as a cyclical process. It's never ending. Like if you think competition in real life is difficult, online you're competing against <laughs> the whole world. So <laughs> one aspect to it, it's just, you know, it's re we, what we want to do is institutionalize to a certain extent the family business while maintaining the family business value and feel. So that's not cash to porno. What are, are you, what are you selling? Are you selling taste? Are you selling uh, a, a particular uh, lifestyle? Are you selling your perspective on design? In, in, if I would ask you to, in one sentence, because it's always a nice way to think about a brand today. Then with the new tagline. How are, yeah, your tagline. I mean, what are you, if, if you take it, it's totally fine. I will not ask for anything. We are selling Nakash lifestyle. Nakash lifestyle. So, can you go a bit deeper into what, in your point of view, is an Ash lifestyle? And then I want to hear from the kids because you may, they may not have the same view. I'm going to call They the are family. the futures, uh, Hashim. Yeah, they no, are, I'm aware. Are, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are much better than me and that one. I don't that. think it's better or not. I'm What I'm interested in uh, is into how each of you thinks about that Ash lifestyle. So I, maybe we'll start with you. So I think for us, it's when it first started um, and... Our father would go to these fairs and source the furniture back in the day. He would also select what he thought would nice and what would be appealing to him and what would look nice in the showroom. Aesthetically, yeah. Aesthetically. And he has the best eye, I think, humble, in my humble opinion, in the market because he knows exactly how to pick and choose the different materials, the different colors, and put everything together. Okay. Um, so that's his lifestyle. That's what the lifestyle he's trying to sell. Yes. But so when we came into the into the ball game, we still wanted to keep that, but still cater to the market. You know, so you have to kind of go out there, see what's trending, see what's in demand. Also, consumer behavior has shifted over the years. Um, so the way people now furnish their homes or their spaces, they like to be part of that process. Yes. You know, at the time it was okay. Let me get somebody specialized in this because yes. I have no idea what I'm doing. Yes. But nowadays they're well-traveled, well-educated, they're more exposed, and they like to have uh, this space in the house being like, oh, you know, I got this piece from my wife's I was traveling in Bali, or I sourced this piece when I was in Latin America. And then my designer helped me put together, but I found it on Pinterest. This Interior designers hate Pinterest, but customers, yeah, that's yeah. their source of inspiration, yeah. you know? So the lifestyle we try to sell is... Yani, like Omar mentioned, he's into vinyl records. He likes to be sitting on a comfortable chair. Uh, I'm into wellness. I like a well-designed, uh, you know, comfortable flooring. Um, so it's it's basically curating the lived experience. Here's, here's, sorry to interrupt you. I'm just curious because your version of an Ash lifestyle, I can completely understand because it's your point of view, your, your eye, essentially, that you are um, representing. And it becomes very coherent because in your eye, it's very easy for you to know this works, this doesn't work. When you start transitioning into a more sort of customer facing, what do they like? The risk, and I'm telling you this from my own experience, is that you get lost, lost right? It becomes um, not coherent. I'm not saying this happened to you. I'm just bringing this out there, right? where Aya thinks, well, you know, we should have this, this, and that because that's currently trending. And Omar likes vinyl, and he thinks part of that needs to be... And all of a sudden, for the consumer, it's confusing because all of a sudden, my eye is darting. Are you aware of this risk? Definitely. I mean, you definitely can't cater to everybody. You know? both. Uh, exactly. You become all things to all people, yeah, potentially. So people that come to Naash are looking for a specific style. Mm. Uh, and the way, we, the way we go about it, like my father mentioned, is you know, we try to curate the whole space. So when the customer walks in, he's like, I want this corner as is. I don't have to think of what lamp to match it with, what artwork will go well with this. So And it's more of an eclectic theme. Yeah. Um, and I think, like... Like I said, you cannot cater to everybody. So we kind of have our niche, but also you got to stay relevant. 
We need to take that risk. Yes, to take I... that risk, and 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 this is most of the tension that happens between us is. Yeah, you know, I know because what he's works. going with a timeless, exactly timeless view. This works, and you know, my taste evolves in a certain way. But it's very, and you're saying no, we need to kind of push forward. There is a risk. That's it may be a very uh, uh, worthwhile risk to take, but it's a risk nevertheless. Yeah, I, I think you know it, when 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 he started the business, he was you know extremely talented, but he was also at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And there was very little out there. Exactly. So nowadays, it's you know the 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 risk reward is is a different calculation. And your ability to stand out, any of us, anyone, kinsic consumer, the ability to stand out is much harder. You know, the noise factor is very high. Yeah, on. Yeah, and to differentiate between you know good design and bad design, high quality, low quality, has become much harder because it's everywhere. We try to be the, uh, different than the other because the competition is very, very hard. A lot of showrooms now, a lot of interior designer. You have to be different. You have to be unique. Uh, but also you have to think about uh, how much it will be in your pocket. Yes, of course. It's a that's, business. <laughs> that's a difficult uh, formula to, to, to adjust. How, uh, who, do you have a big team that works with you day to day or is just you? How do you operate typically? The the overall company is thirty two people. Okay, so uh, sizable. We, yeah, we have a operation and we have a warehouse, so that's a big chunk of the the people. We have an architect. We have, uh, you know, we split it between outdoor and indoor uh, departments. Um, so yeah. So is the g design is the gallery and the design studio collapsing into one? Are you folding them into one? An ash sort of brand or will you still have the studio and the gallery separately we're just rebranding the gallery so an interesting question and it's an ongoing debate ah. but what we don't want so we are so to to answer your previous question about you know what is the new nakasha my my approach is i i, ta I try to tackle the three c's in all of my uh, projects which is conceptual um uh, creative and and comfortable you know, so whatever that means to your lifestyle, Hashim, whatever that means, like it's clear that you're in the FNB. So if we were come to design, you know, your home, then we'd put a lot of the focus on the the dining experience. Yeah. You know, um, that being said, we don't want to be perceived as a design studio within a showroom because mm. you have, for example, in Bloomingdale's home, you have a design studio where they help you with the furniture selection and the furniture layout. But that's not what we do. We really create concepts, and we we do architecture and interior architecture, and we do uh, you know detailed design package and site supervision. Like it's it's a it's a practice. Mm -hmm. it's, we provide a service, um, so we don't want to be you know perceived as as that. So we it's it's an ongoing debate. I don't have the answer. Yeah, yet. it's hard. We might spin off the design studio into another brand. You know, just because we're being nominated for awards and it, we're it being in conversation. You should because I agree with you. If you're coming in from a, let's call it gallery perspective, and you look at a design studio from within that lens, you don't really, exactly you think of sort of as an added service. You don't think exactly. of it as a, like a proper design studio. But if I walk into a design studio, I'm thinking architecture, interiors, full design package. And there are two different parts of your brain, right? That you're Completed. going to. Yeah. If I'm starting a new restaurant, I might come to you as a design studio. But if I walk through your gallery and I don't know your brand, I will not. True. I may be coming for inspiration or to buy a piece of furniture. So yeah. it almost feels like they're separate. Yeah, they, they, most most likely that's what's going to happen. Okay. Yeah, but we're obviously still going to have a design element to the Ash brand, right? Of course. Um, and um, in terms of managing, you know, like your operations, you know, you mentioned you have a big warehouse. and so on. How do you manage your operational risk do you have an operations team do you because i mean a lot of money goes into you know like buying these things putting them in warehouses you don't know if it's going to sell today or tomorrow in five years i mean how do you manage this side of the business which is really not as creative and purely has to do with day-to-day -day ops and and uh this inventory is a, control. A logistic uh, part yes uh, we have a, a warehouse we have a manager uh, looking after that with his team 
of course, looking after the inventory, looking after the delivery, customer services. Uh, this is a separate, uh, separate. And is there value in having a lot of inventory today versus me coming to you liking something and maybe you tell me it takes 12 weeks? But at least you're not holding it. We try to keep a big inventory. You which do? Is, uh, yeah, not, not like before. Now okay. it's much less. Okay. Because, you know, the client here, they want to buy and to they deliver want it, it next, uh, next day to his house. Uh, we have uh, inventory, but we used to have uh, bigger before. It's 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 interesting to have these conversations, and we have them quite often as about like inventory turnover ratio. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's something that, you know... He never looked at before because yeah maybe he didn't need to or he wasn't yeah. taught but he you know so it's it's a very fine line yes uh, between carrying stock and not carrying stock and how much stock and um especially for bulkier heavy items i relate to it from a small concept so with mostly accessories it's a constant discussion what is our par level i mean do i hold five do i hold 15 um, you know, if I only hold five, will they still come back if I tell them six weeks, etc.? I, I don't know. Yeah, you have to know your client. Yeah, and sometimes I purchase some items. I said, okay, this piece is, this client will like it and he will take it, you know. Uh, of course, there is some pieces just uh, because I love it. I, I want to display it in the showroom. Some pieces, I bought it specifically for a certain uh, client. Uh, Quantity-wise, you have to be careful. Mm. Especially the unique items, you cannot repeat it all the time. Yes. No. And I think by like when we do our purchasing, uh, we don't buy in bulk because what they love about us is when they purchase the sofa or the the, yeah. the dining table. It's they somewhat know, unique. Yeah. Exactly. You, you don't know, they know that they're not going to see it, and everybody's the different, home. Exactly. But you just said you have to know your market and your client. In a city like Dubai, where at least over the last couple of years, your client has, I mean, you know, the city's uh, landscape has completely changed in terms of the population. It's a big canvas, yes. How do you know your client? I mean, I, I can tell you openly, I mean, my client has changed drastically over the years. I mean, you know, today uh, if in the Palm, we have, I don't know, maybe 30 to 40% of our clients are Russian. Mm -hmm. So that's, a, I mean, we have a Russian menu. So, you know, like these kind of things, does it translate into your business as well? Yes, the same in the furnitures. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah because the Russian test is different than but the European good. test. More, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll try to please everybody. Okay. It's, but not easy. No, خلص. Especially when you want to keep some inventory, you know. Uh, we'll try to manage, to balance. Uh, and when you don't know if this is transient or not, right? So you don't know, I mean, are they, are you getting mostly people that are coming to build uh, homes and stay here and buying, or are they just transient? They're just looking to furnish something quickly to rent it. I mean, it's very confusing. And for furniture, the timeline is much longer than for fashion or for food, the trends. Yes, and, and, you're and right. It, it takes much longer to evolve. Um, so yeah, it, it, we need to, any, the one uh, constant thing is change, right? So... And this is what we're trying to introduce into into, because what one constant with Waji is nothing changes. Yes, <laughs> nothing <laughs> change. Do you see yourselves seeing this business long term as kind of you know? Um, uh, so you go into two point Do you envisage a three point that gets passed? I mean, are you look? I mean, do you think of it sort of in these dynastic terms, or more like we have a job and let's see what happens in the next five years? I mean, oh. I, I don't like. I would like to see the three Okay. not wait for the next generation i think that's one of our biggest mistakes is that we were so entrenched in what we did that we were a bit late to evolve like now your ios is 16.61 you know yeah uh, but on the same device so inshallah in five years we can see the 3.0 and we need to keep but you know i'm not 100 percent sure right because when you think about it go back to our earlier conversation 10 years ago, when many of us thought Dubai was ready, for example, for collectible design, it wasn't. So sometimes change for just change's sake is not that advisable. I mean, had you made certain changes then, very likely today it would have been turned out to maybe not be, yani, it's, it's very tough There's to a, know what yeah. your, the right time is, right? There's always an advantage in hindsight. Yeah. 
but uh, they don't need to be uh, seismic changes you Fair know enough. like it, it could be uh, smaller things but uh, i don't know if I, i i just have a son now one and a half congratulations year old. thank you i don't I, i'm I, i doubt i would encourage him to be in a family business why it's it's tough to see your father as a boss mm. there's some things that happen that you don't want your son to see you know and it's it's really hard to unsee yes like i wish i'm uh i love my father i love my boss yes but uh no i i think that's very wise yeah and it's it's uh it's it's not necessary yeah i feel what about you Aya? i mean we definitely want to keep the heritage going you know it's a legacy and it's it's an honor to be passed down this baton and take it forward do you see your children would you want to just to kind of echo what your brother is saying would you want to see them involved in this business should they have an interest or if they want not? to i mean i also have a two-year-old you know yes. so she's still very young <laughs> yeah. and she loves football <laughs> so yeah. no, no, at I'm this point i'm putting her in football camp i mean but hypothetically would you encourage it or discourage it Let's i would it encourage it but you i would. would also encourage her to work outside first why would you encourage it out of curiosity just to you know because your experience you feel was fulfilling i mean we didn't get the experience of working outside sah. you know so i think that's really important for them and you know she learned she'll get uh, you know get her hands dirty tindak uh, as we say bil arabi um and then you know if she wants to join ahla sahla and if not go do your own thing okay so that's my two cents <laughs> these are very wise words um <laughs> thank you very much this was wonderful i wish you all the best in your 2.0 all and you have wonderful children you should be i'm sure you are very proud of them as thank you should you, be thank you very much and uh, we will see you all i'm sure in design week and in the months to come and we'll be following your uh, your journey yeah stay thanks tuned for thanks us. for having us hashim thank you thank, thank you, thank you very you. much thank you it was great thank you for joining me on this episode of the lighthouse conversations i'm your host hashim montasir our producer chirag desai and our content director is Farah Sharif. You can connect with us on Instagram at the lighthouse underscore podcasts for behind the scenes videos and more. And also you can listen to all our previous episodes in your podcast app or at the lighthouse.ae slash podcast. We'll see you again with a brand new episode in two weeks.